Jonah chapter 1. Now the word of the Lord came to Jonah, the son of Amittai, saying, Arise, go to Nineveh, that great city, and call out against it, for their evil has come up before me. But Jonah rose to flee to Tarshish from the presence of the Lord, who went down to Joppa and found a ship going to Tarshish. So he paid the fare and went down into it to go with them to Tarshish, away from the presence of the Lord. But the Lord held a great wind upon the sea, and there was a mighty tempest on the sea, so that the ship threatened to break up. Then the mariners were afraid, and each cried out to his God. And they hailed the cargo that was in the ship into the sea to lighten it for them. But Jonah had gone down into the inner part of the ship, and had lay down and was fast asleep. So the captain came to him, came and said to him, What do you mean, you sleeper? Arise, call out to your God. Perhaps the God will give a thought to us that we may not perish. And they said to one another, Come, let us cast lots that we may know on whose account this evil has come upon us. So they cast lots and the lot fell on Jonah. Then they said to him, Tell us on whose account this evil has come upon you. What is your occupation and where do you come from? What is your country and of what people are you? And he said to them, I am a Hebrew and I fear the Lord, the God of heaven, who made the sea and the dry land. Then the men were exceedingly afraid and said to him, what is it that you, that you have done? For the men knew that he was fleeing from the presence of the Lord because he had told them. Then they said to him, what shall we do to you that the sea may quiet down for us? For the sea grew more and more tempestuous. He said to them, Pick me up and hurl me into the sea. Then the sea will quiet down for you. For I know it is because of me that this great tempest has come upon you. Nevertheless, the men rode hard to get back to dry land. But they could not, for the sea grew more and more tempestuous against them. Therefore, they called out to the Lord, O Lord, let us not perish for this man's life. And lay not on us innocent blood for you. O Lord, have done, it, done as it pleased you. So they picked up Jonah and hurled him into the sea. And the sea ceased from its raging. Then the men feared the Lord exceedingly. And they offered a sacrifice to the Lord and made vows. And the Lord appointed a great fish to swallow up Jonah. And Jonah was in the belly of fish three days and three nights. The children are going to go out to their group um, with Kenny, um, so they will join us at the end and tell us all that they've learned uh, from Jonah chapter 1, and we look forward to hearing that. And Sam's going to come up to us and uh, preach God's word to us. I have the book of Jonah open in front of us, um, because we're going, to, we're going to kind of walk through it, so it'd be helpful that you have your Bibles open in front of you, you can see the same things that I'm seeing. We're also going to have a look at 2 Kings and Matthew. Before we get stuck into the passage, there's a danger, there's a danger when we come to Jonah. And I think it's the danger of familiarity. As you can see behind me, those of us that have been brought up in Christian circles, we would have been reading stuff like this as kids, right? Pretty much every children's storybook Bible has got the story of Jonah in it and a picture of a cheeky whale with a big grin on it. And lots of us as well would have heard it preached on in church 
And it is it's a great book for a summer mini-series, which is what we're doing now. And there are, there are even secular songs written about it. Did you know, that, you know Hugh Laurie? Do you know he wrote an album? And one of the songs in that album, um, the chorus says, They say the whale swallowed Jonah out in the deep blue sea. Sometimes I get that feeling that the same old whale has swallowed me. If you like blues, it's definitely worth checking out his album. If you don't, don't check it out. <laughs> and so it's well known. And so I think we can think, we can think, oh yeah, I know, Jonah. Chapter one is all about um, God asking us to do something and running away. Chapter two is all about God answering repentant prayer. Great, now I can have a half hour nap every Sunday for the next four weeks. Well, don't. Because however familiar a passage is, and this is a very familiar passage, God wants to speak to us. And God wants to speak to us not today, but through this series on Jonah. And so before we start, I want to pray. I want to pray that would be the case, that we wouldn't get caught up in, oh, I know this passage, I've heard this before, I know what this is about. But that we would pray that God would speak to us by his spirit. So let's pray before we dive in. Lord Jesus, I pray that you would be speaking to us today, Lord, that you would use me to speak to us as a church, Lord, that you give us open hearts to learn from from what's such a familiar story. Not just us, Lord, but I pray the kids as well would be learning and that their hearts would be changed and our hearts would be changed by what you've got to say to us today. Asking your name. Amen. Amen. Okay, Jonah chapter 1. We're starting a mini-series on Jonah. This is the first of four weeks, four chapters, one a week. And it's definitely worth, if you've got time, go home and read through the whole book so you get an overall picture of the story. Because this book is, is set in the heart of a time when Israel is going through a series of good and bad kings. And alongside these kings, you get a series of prophets. And Jonah was one of these prophets. And, and kind of, the, Jonah is set in the middle of, of lots of different prophets in the Bible. And as a prophet, Jonah's role was to communicate God's word to his people. That was his job. His God-given role. Now, Jonah was a prophet in the time of King Jeroboam. Not the first one, the second King Jeroboam. And we're going to find out what he's like in 2 Kings. So if you turn with me to 2 Kings, chapter 14 and verse 23, we're going to find out what Israel was like under the reign of Jeroboam. 2 Kings, chapter 14, verse 23. In the 15th year of Amaziah, the son of Joash, king of Judah, Jeroboam, the son of Joash, king of Israel, began to reign in Samaria. What was he like? Verse 24. And he did what was evil in the sight of the Lord. He did not depart from the sins of Jeroboam the son of Nebat, that's Jeroboam 1, which he made Israel to sin. Okay, stay there, we're going to come back to it. So, so Jonah's calling was to speak the word of the Lord in a time when Israel had turned away from God and was living in evil. And that is the exact opposite of what Israel should have been doing. Because right at the beginning of the Bible, in Genesis chapter 12, we find that God's purpose for Israel was that they be a blessing to the nations. Israel was meant to bless the other nations around them. And so if they're living in evil, they're not doing that, right? You can't live in evil and bless the nations around you. And so they were not fulfilling 
God's purpose for their lives. So what was Jonah saying to them? Was he saying repent? Turn away from evil? Well, it tells us in Kings. So if we go back to, to 2 Kings, verse 25. He, that's King Jeroboam, restored the border of Israel from Lebo Hamath as far as the Sea of the Arabah, according to the word of the Lord, the God of Israel, which he spoke by his servant Jonah, son of Amittai, the prophet who was from Gath-Hepha. So God, despite this nation choosing to live in evil, he chooses to bless and even prosper them. He expands their borders, which means that the people around them basically were invaded by them and they were weak. And that included Nineveh. And so therefore Jonah has seen with his own eyes and through his own words the boundless compassion of God towards an evil people, Israel. And so we need to ask ourselves, why is this book in the Bible? Why should we care about Jonah? Why should we care about a whale and Jonah being swallowed by a whale? Well, just because God had expanded the borders of his nation, that doesn't mean he's happy with them. Um, so just because God has expanded the nation doesn't mean he's happy with them. He's a good God, right? Israel are choosing to live against him in evil. And what God wants to do through Jonah specifically is speak to the people of Israel. Now, how does that happen when, as we're going to find out, Jonah is rebellious, he's 40, he messes up, he chooses to live in evil instead of God's blessing, instead of being God's blessing? Well, we know that Israel has stopped being God's blessing. And so what that tells us is that Jonah's life is a prophecy, not his words, his life is a prophecy. And Jonah's story in this book is a picture of what had happened to Israel. And hopefully that picture will build as we go through this book in the next four weeks. And what his story, what Jonah's life says to Israel is, you have forgotten your purpose. Just as Jonah, as we're going to see, chooses not to follow God's calling, Israel, you're doing the same. And when Israel would have read Jonah's story, they wouldn't have said, oh, that's a nice story. Let's stick that in our children's Bible with a cartoon picture of a smiley whale. They would have been really uncomfortable and they would, have, they would have been challenged by it. And they would have thought, wait, that's, that's us. That's what we're doing. Jonah is a picture of what we're doing. And so God wants to challenge us today. When we look at Jonah as a faulty servant who's representing a faulty nation that is not bringing God's blessing to the people around them, that's going to challenge us. And so there must be a solution, right? Because we need to have a solution to this problem. Someone better that God can send. Don't worry, there is someone better. We're going to find that out. A faultless servant sent from God to bring blessing to the nations, to save the nations from their sins. So what I want us to see today is that we need to see God's blessing of salvation through his faultless servant Jesus and respond by sharing that with the nations around us. We need to see God's blessing through his faultless servant Jesus and respond by sharing that with the nations around us. Does that make sense? Okay. So let's get our sea legs on and take the plunge. Jonah chapter 1, God's 40 servant. First of all, we're going to look at, Rob, if you could flip the first bit. We're going to look at God's 40 servant, Jonah. And we're going to walk through this story. So verse 1. 
Now the word of the Lord came to Jonah, the son of Amittai. God speaks to Jonah. And in fact, we see the Lord 12 times in this chapter. He is in control. And he says, Arise, go to Nineveh, that great city, and call out against it, for their evil has come up before me. Here, Jonah, is your calling as a prophet. Specifically, this is what I want you to do. Go to Nineveh and call out their evil. Why? Well, because Nineveh's evil has come up before God. In God's morning daily briefing, he has heard about Nineveh and their evil. And God does not ignore evil. Rob's already said that. Rob's already said that at the beginning. And we get more of an insight into Nineveh and the prophet Nahum. We don't, we don't need to turn to it, but in chapter 3 of Nahum, these are some of the phrases he uses about Nineveh. And it's gritty stuff. He says, bloody city, full of lies and plunder, heaps of corpses, dead bodies without end, countless whorings of the prostitute. It's not a nice picture. This is what Nineveh is like. So how does God respond? A judgment, maybe. Fire and brimstone? Bigger than the fire that Rob and I had yesterday. Much hotter. That's what they deserve, isn't it? But God is a gracious God, slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love. And so what does he send them? He sends them a preacher. He sends them a prophet to be a blessing to them, to show them that there's a better way to live, to show them that they need to repent and live God's way. That was Jonah's purpose. That was Israel's purpose. That was what they were meant to be doing. And this is our purpose as the church of God. But Jonah fails, and we're going to see three ways that he fails as we walk through the rest of his story. So firstly, he fails because he runs away from God's calling. Literally, he runs away from God's calling. Verse 3, but Jonah rose to flee to Tarshish from the presence of the Lord. He went down to Joppa and found a ship going to Tarshish. So he paid the fare and went down into it to go with them to Tarshish. It's pretty obvious, isn't it? Away from the presence of the Lord. If Nineveh is that way, Tarshish is that way. And he pays to run away from God's presence. He wants to play hide and seek with a God who is omnipresent, who is everywhere at all times. And the question is why? Well, Jonah actually, he tells himself this. So spoiler alert, after God has saved the Ninevites, and we'll come to that. Because they repent and turn away from evil, he's angry. And in chapter 4, verse 2, he says, and he prays to God, and he says, Oh Lord, is this not what I said when I was yet in my country? That is why I made haste to flee to Tarshish. For I knew that you are a gracious God and merciful, slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love and relenting from disaster. Jonah knows what God is like, and he doesn't want Nineveh to benefit from that. Remember, Jonah is living under a wicked king, right? And he's seen God expand Israel's borders and save Israel from their enemies. And that might be good enough for for God's chosen people. But to see a pagan nation saved, well, that's a different matter entirely, isn't it? You can imagine his thoughts. Why should those lying, sexually immoral, thieving cretins get the same compassion as me 
pure, right, chosen prophet of God, and my nation, Israel, chosen God's nation. How dare God even think of showing Nineveh love? But that's exactly what God wants to do, and that's exactly what God has wanted to do all through the Bible. And he's chosen Jonah to do it, but Jonah runs away. And so like Jonah, Israel also, by living in evil under King Jeroboam, has chosen to run away from God's purpose to bless the nations. And it might seem a bit extreme to draw the parallel, but we do the same. Isn't there something in all of our hearts that wants to run away from what God asks us to do? A few weeks ago, we went for family photo shoots, one of Bethan's birthday presents, and, and we got in a conversation about our daughter Hannah. Um, and, if, and if you know Hannah's story and, and the testimony of God healing her when she was meant to be stillborn, it's an amazing opportunity to share about our faith. And in my head, I had that voice, you know, the voice when God speaks to you. Share with the photographer, you know, share about how we found our strength in God. Share about how we had such peace and were upheld by him. Share about all the people that were praying for us. And what was my response? Oh, we need to get back for lunch. Let's put the kids in the car and go. And that's the reality. We run away from God's calling to us. And we can look at Jonah and the bad choices he made and how he physically tried to weigh, run away from God's calling, and yet we do it all the time. We need to look at ourselves and examine our own hearts. And just because we're not jumping on the Thames Clipper to the West End away from Beckentree, it doesn't mean we're not walking against God's great commission to go and make disciples of all nations. How often do we turn away from conversations in the street, or at work, or over the garden fence, that could lead to someone being saved? And also, like Jonah, we can even go as far to think that some people don't deserve it. How could I even think of sharing the gospel with my neighbour when I know he hates his wife and watches porn? And that's the reality, that's the sinful reality of our hearts. So as a faulty servant, Jonah runs away from God, and as faulty servants, we do too. Secondly, how else does he fail? He forgets to pray. So you'd think by now, right, you'd think that God would give up on Jonah by now. Oh, Jonah's run away from me. I'll go and find myself another prophet. There must be loads of them around. But he chooses to pursue him. Method of pursuit, a massive storm. Look at verse 4. But the Lord hurled a great wind upon the sea, and there was a mighty tempest on the sea, so that the ship threatened to break up. I think that's really funny. You can imagine the ship going, I'm going to break up. I'm going to do it. Watch me. Then the mariners were afraid, and each cried out to his God, and they hurled the cargo that was in the ship into the sea to lighten it for them. But Jonah had gone down into the inner part of the, sea, of the ship and had laid down and was fast asleep. Jonah, in the middle of a crazy storm that God sent, goes down into the heart of the ship and sleeps. Why or how? Well, he's relaxed. He's happy with his decision to run away from God. He's chilled out. Yeah, I've run away from God. I've done it. Now I can sleep. And as the sailors who are terrified, they cry out to their false gods, and they chuck all the stuff out of their ship, and Jonah's sleeping. Hang on, this is God's prophet. He's meant to speak into situations like this. Why is he not leading the way and praying and seeking God about what to do? 
And there's a danger in thinking that if we're relaxed with something, then we've made the right decision. And that God approves of what we're doing. Well, if we're running away from God, that's not true. That's wrong. If we're rejecting God's plan for our lives, then God will pursue us. And it doesn't stop there. It gets worse. Verse 6. So the captain came and said to him, What do you mean, you sleeper? Arise, call out to your God. Perhaps the God will give a thought to us that we may not perish. A pagan sailor who worships a false god has to come and tell Jonah to pray to the one true God. It is is hilarious. The irony is hilarious. And I wonder how many situations we've found ourselves in when we should be crying out to God. And either we forget or someone has to remind us. When the storms of life hit us, where do we turn? Forty servants forget God. Israel had forgotten God. We forget God. That's the second way that we fail. Third way. He talks the talk, but he doesn't walk the walk. Verse 7. And they, the sailors, said to one another, Come, let us cast lots, that we may know on whose account this evil has come on us. So they cast lots, and the lot fell on Jonah. Surprise, surprise. Then they said to him, Tell us on whose account this evil has come upon us. What is your occupation, and where do you come from? And of what, what is your country, and of what people are you? And he said to them, I am a Hebrew. And I fear the Lord, the God of heaven, who made the sea and the dry land. Did I get it the wrong way around? Sorry. Good response, right, Jonah? It looks good on the surface. I fear the Lord, the heaven of earth. Um, I, I'm a Hebrew, I fear the Lord, the God of heaven, who made the sea and the dry land. Good response. But you have to ask... Do you, Jonah? Do you fear the Lord? You, Jonah, have a reverent worship of Creator God. Didn't you just fall asleep when we needed prayer in this crazy storm? Haven't you just told us, Jonah, when you got on the ship, that you're running away from this God? I am a Hebrew and I fear the Lord. Well, blatantly not, Jonah. You know the character Woody in Toy Story? What does he say when you pull his string. Does anyone know? There's. Yeah, there's a snake in my boot. I don't know if you know from Toy Story. There's a character called Woody. And he's got a string and you pull it. And he goes, there's a snake in my boot. That's basically what Jonah's doing. The sailors have pulled the metaphorical, who do you serve string? And his response is, I am a Hebrew. I serve the Lord, the God of heaven and earth. It's a set response. But it's not true. And this is challenging because we tell people that we're Christian and we even share gospel truths with people, but are these backed up by the way we're living our lives? We can be in church, we can recite the Lord's Prayer and the Confession, we can sing the songs and we can nod along to the sermon, but we can still be running away from God. We say, I fear the Lord, the God of heaven and earth, but no way am I sharing the gospel with my neighbour today. I fear the Lord, the God of heaven and earth, but I just don't feel like studying the Bible today. I haven't finished binge-watching Breaking Bad. I fear the Lord, the God of heaven and earth, but but I love to get drunk with my friends, gossip about my colleagues, and swear like a docker. 
and I know this is hard-hitting, and actually all of these last three points have been hard-hitting, but I'm not apologising for that, because I've been just as challenged as I hope you are this week by studying this. And if this is making you feel uncomfortable, there's a reason for that. And Israel would have felt that same discomfort. So let God challenge you as he challenged me this week. As Christians, we have been commissioned by God to bless those around us. And so often we run away from that. But there is hope and a solution to come. And we can see that hope shadowed in Jonah's story. So secondly, we're going to look at God's salvation despite his faulty servant. Let's carry on our story. Verse 11. Then they said to him, What shall we do to you that the sea may quiet down for us? So the sea grew more and more tempestuous. And he said to them, Pick me up and hurl me into the sea. Then the sea will quiet down for you. For I know it is because of me that this great tempest has come upon you. Nevertheless, the men rode hard to get back to dry land. But they could not, for the sea grew more and more tempestuous against them. Jonah, he knows this storm is judgment against him now. And so he asks them to throw them in. He asks them to throw him in. Good decision or bad decision? That's a bad decision. Jonah, right, he's running away from God. What's the solution? To run back to God. He should have said, look, can you turn the ship around and go back? Go back to Joppa. I need to go to Nineveh. What does he say instead? Throw me in. He would rather die. He would rather drown in the sea than follow God. That's, that's sad. That's really sad. Now look at the sailors, right? After one more try to save themselves, they finally do the right thing. They realise the greatness of God's power and they turn to him. Verse 14, Therefore they called out to the Lord, O Lord, let us not perish for this man's life and lay not on us innocent blood, for you, O Lord, have done as it pleased you. So they picked Jonah up and hurled him into the sea and the sea ceased from his raging. They recognise finally that God is in control. They throw Jonah over the side and God stops the storm. So who is saved? The sailors. Look at their response, their final response. The sea is stopped. Then the men, verse 16, then the men feared the Lord exceedingly. Not just a little bit, exceedingly. And they offered a sacrifice to the Lord and made vows. They respond in fear and worship to the God who's just saved them from death. Jonah didn't do that. Israel hasn't done that. These pagan sailors respond exactly how they should. And that was kind of the point of Jonah, that the nations would be blessed and turned turned to him. And that's what's happened. And in a little way on this ship, this little pagan nation of sailors has been blessed by God. Despite Jonah's faults and despite his failings. And these sailors, they worship him in reverent awe. So that picture we've just built up of Jonah is pretty rubbish, right? As a prophet, he's not doing very well. And what we've seen of ourselves is that we're like that too. Which should make us think, shouldn't it? We need someone else. Someone better 
who can make up for Jonah's failings. Someone better who can make up for our failings. And that's who Jonah points us to. So thirdly, we're going to look at God's faultless servant. God's faultless servant and salvation through him. Where do we leave Jonah? In the sea, right? Floundering. And it's not until he's at the point of death, at the bottom of the ocean, does he turn to God. Now we're going to be looking at that next week. But it's worth noting that between verse 16 and verse 17 comes chapter 2. Okay? So there's a gap. I think, I think we're in danger of thinking Jonah is thrown out the ship and he lands in the mouth of this whale. And that doesn't happen. He sinks all the way to the bottom of the sea. And it's only when he is at the point of death does he turn to God. And God doesn't leave him there. God chooses to save him. Verse 17. And the Lord appointed a great fish to swallow up Jonah. And Jonah was in the belly of the fish three days and three nights. And the Bible tells us, and this is very helpful, the Bible tells us this is a sign of something else we need. So, let's turn to Matthew chapter 12, and we're going to look at verses 38 to 41. Matthew chapter 12. And a page, again, a page number would be great. 817, thanks Tommy. Page 817, Matthew chapter 12 and verse 38. Then some of the scribes and Pharisees answered him saying, Teacher, we wish to see a sign from you. But he answered and said to them, An evil and adulterous generation seeks for a sign, but no sign will be given to it except the sign of the prophet Jonah. For, just as Jonah was three days and three nights in the belly of the great fish, so will the Son of Man be three days and three nights in the heart of the earth. For us as forty servants, Jesus says, a sign has been given. And he was talking to the Pharisees, who who were forty servants. A sign has been given, the sign of Jonah. God is a gracious God. Slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love. And so, through the line of Israel, the nation whom he intended to bless other nations, he sends the perfect blessing, his son. And Jonah, who would be in the dark and disgusting, stinky belly of the whale for three days and three nights, is a sign of something greater. A sign of Jesus, who fulfills fulfills everything that Jonah and Israel and we have failed to do. Jesus, who spent three days and three nights in a tomb after being brutally crucified by Roman soldiers at the request of his own people. Why? Well, to bring salvation so that we should not perish but have eternal life. The sign of Jonah points to Jesus. And when Jesus ends up in the same position of Jonah, sleeping in the heart of a boat, in the midst of a massive storm, it's not because he's relaxed about a wrong decision, it's because he's in control. And the disciples, they respond to Jesus' power over the wind and the waves, and they say in fear and amazement, what kind of man is this? I'll tell you what kind of man this is. This is God made man, Jesus God's faultless son, 
servant-heartedly living on earth. And whereas the word of the Lord came to Jonah, Jesus is the word, made flesh, who dwelt among us. And whereas Jonah ran away, and where we run away from God's calling on our lives, Jesus walked with God, living out his will perfectly, and he ran two sinners to bless them. And in fact, the moments before he was crucified on the cross in the Garden of Gethsemane, about to suffer one of the most agonizing executions known to man, he surrenders himself to God's will and he says, Father, if you are willing, take this cup away from me. Nevertheless, not my will, but yours be done. And where we forget God in prayer and try to do things in our own strength, Jesus petitions his Father in prayer. At the resurrection of Lazarus, he prays to God in order that the people around him might believe. And whilst on the cross, he prays, he prays for those who have put him there. Father, forgive him, forgive them, for they don't know what they're doing. And where we talk the talk, but don't walk the walk of faith, we pretend to worship God and we don't do what he calls us to, Jesus followed up his perfect words of life with actions that brought the life of God into people's lives. And we can't be like him, because we are faultless by nature. In our own strength, we can't be like him. We need to be made faultless. We need salvation, and that's what God has graciously given us through Jesus. The only way we can be faultless servants and live right, and not be like Jonah, is through Jesus. And if you're not a Christian, well, God's salvation is for you. And like the sailors, you might be trusting in any number of false gods to save you in the storm of life. Money, successful career, successful marriage, possessions. Those things won't save you. Like the sailors, only God could save them and only God can save you. The same God who saved the sailors, who saved Jonah, and who sent his son Jesus to save you. And if you read what the Bible says about this man Jesus, and the book of Matthew would be a great place to start, you will see and you will find the path to salvation. You can be saved by the faultless servant Jesus, who followed God's calling on his life perfectly to the point of death on the cross. And if you choose to accept that, then in the eyes of God, you will become faultless too. And just going through the motions of church or just trying to do good, that's not enough. You need the salvation of Jesus to change your heart. And as Christians, those of us who have accepted God's salvation through Jesus, we can be encouraged, firstly encouraged that one day we will be able to stand faultless before the throne of God, clothed in righteousness, made possible through Jesus. But, as we've seen, sometimes we live like Jonah. We forget God's calling, or we run away from God's calling to be a blessing to those around us. We turn against God's will, and we even deny him with our actions. But as Jesus' followers, we can come to him knowing that he has forgiven us of these things. And so that in the eyes of God, we are made faultless. And then, once we recognise that, just as God goes on to use Jonah to bring salvation 
to Nineveh. He can use us to bring salvation to people and to lead people to him in fear and worship. That's our calling from Jesus, right? Going back to that calling thing. The Great Commission in Matthew 28 says, Go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you, and behold, I am with you to the end of the age. In summary, what that's saying is, Go therefore and be a blessing. And I think there's a danger. We think that if we've messed up like Jonah, then we're a write-off when it comes to sharing the gospel. Well, that's not true. Because as Christians, this calling on our life, it's not taken away when we mess up. And there'll always be a part of us that wants to run away. That sinful part of our hearts is always going to want to turn away from opportunities that God gives us. But God pursues us. Jesus is with us by his spirit. He has saved us. So let's live lives of fear and worship to him by sharing this love and being a blessing to the nations around us. Amen? Amen. Amen. Let me pray. Father, I pray that today you would have challenged us, that you would show us and convict us of the times in our lives when when we have not honoured you, when we have not honoured your calling to go and make disciples, to be a blessing to the nations. But Lord, in the light of that conviction, that we would be able, we would be able to see your forgiveness. And we thank you for that forgiveness, Lord Jesus. And I pray, Lord, that, that from today, Lord, we would want to, we would strive to live our lives to be a blessing to those around us. And that means talking about you and showing people your salvation and bringing people to a place of fear and worship. But we can't do that, but you can. And I thank you that as your church, you have given us your spirit to empower us to do that. I thank you, Lord, that you are with us. In Jesus' name, amen.